I want to tell you a story. It's a story about a scandal, broken relationships, gossip, rumors, money, corporate rivalry, and a broom. A performance-enhancing broom. My name is John Cullen. I'm a comedian, podcaster, and for 20 years, I was a semi-professional curler. And I want to tell you the story about how a single broom almost imploded the 500-year-old sport of curling. We felt like we were bringing a knife to a gunfight. It's the story of a superstar and his fall from grace. Oh, I was being dragged through the mud. It's the story of two brother entrepreneurs with a dream. Yeah, I said, that's great news. It's a story of intrigue. I still don't understand why we want to keep his name secret. The full story has never been told, so I'm going to tell it. Broomgate. How a broom almost killed curling. It was a year I'd like to forget. To listen to Broomgate, search for Broomgate in your favorite podcast app. That's all one word. Broomgate. Hello, James. It's our last show of the year. Yeah, Merry Christmas. Happy Hanukkah. Season's greetings. Nice, nice. Happy Good New Year, up. too. Eh? I guess we can say Happy New Year on the next show. We can say it now. It's a little early. How would you rate 2023 out of 10? In whatever um, realm you want, whether it's personal, the world. I think it was solid. I don't know. I would say my, my 2023 was like a... Eight out of ten, or something. That's okay, pretty good. That's nice. That's yeah. great. I don't think it's been as good for the world, but anyway, uh, <laughs> we should. Uh, well, we have lots to talk about. Always. Um, you don't actually know what we're talking about today. I have no right. idea. No, uh, I mean, I, probably yeah. the leaves. I think we're going to talk about the leaves a little bit. It's it's tough. I think we talk about them too much. Um, we'll talk a little bit about what's going on lately. Um, I do want to check in. Here's what we're going to do. I want to check in on some different players and, and kind of see where you're at with them, what you've seen lately, how they're performing. And then I think we, we should look back on the year um, of 2023 for the Leafs and then look ahead to 2024 and kind of what's expected and what could be in store. I think we have questions. Yep. With you. We do, right? Yeah, we only have uh, we only have 91. So only. Um, nice. we'll just have to spend some time on them. So we'll have to, we'll have to drag it out a little bit because I... Unfortunately, we didn't get we didn't get more than ninety one. Okay. Well, so obviously of late, uh, the team has been stacking up points. They did not get points uh, in the game against New York on what day is day Wednesday, so Tuesday <laughs> night. They did not get any points. They played pretty well. Like I don't. That's those are games. Sometimes you lose some bad bounces. They obviously stomp Pittsburgh. Uh, over the weekend, they have that crazy game against Columbus where they're down 5 nothing, and then come back, which I think we talked about last time. Um, where are you at with this team now as we kind of get into... We're, they're not quite at the, the midway point. They put 29 games. Um, do you have a better feel for what they are? Do you, are they better than you thought? Are they about what you thought? Where are you at with them? I mean, I think that they're, they're kind of what we sort of thought they were going to be this season. I mean, there's been a few surprises, but... Overall, where they are in the standings is about right. I think for it's what they deserve, and I think it's where we thought they would be. I mean, we're, I think we, coming into the year, we said they'd be like kind of like the seventh best team in the league. Right now, points percentage, they're seventh. Um, second in the division. Still 
with a chance maybe to win the division and getting some pressure from behind them with, you know, Florida and potentially Tampa coming. Um, they've been really dangerous offensively. I mean, one of the, one of the ways we talked about this team coming into the season was it felt like if they were going to be successful, they were going to have to be really dangerous offensively. And they were probably going to give more back defensively than they have in the past, just with the way the roster is constructed. And I think that that's been borne out. Um, but with that said, I would say the last, you know, 15, 16 games have been a lot better than the first 15 or 16 games. And it feels like they've settled in a little bit. feels like some players like Bertuzzi, some new players have co- have started to play better uh, and find their way. Um, and they've gotten some good performances from surprising people that we really weren't expecting a whole lot out of. Like, I think if coming into the year we were talking about William Legison and uh, Simon Benoit and Noah Gregor and Joseph Wall and who am I forgetting? You know, people that we didn't really think were going to have much of a role playing as much as they are. I think we probably that probably would have been a concern. And instead, there's been some surprise, positive stories with some of those players. Yeah, I think that's a really good point. And obviously, uh, I have been critical at times of some of what they did in the offseason, but that stuff has been fine. Like Benoit, you mentioned Noah Gregor's been fine. Like, I mean, we don't have to bring up the other guy, but uh, some of that stuff has been okay. Martin Jones, I, I think we should talk about a little bit here. Uh, obviously, he's just played well. Like, we'll see how this goes and we'll see what they decide to do in goal for the next little bit. But he's at least now in the conversation. Like, he's going to play some games pretty clearly with Joseph Wall out, eh? Well, he just. His style is a lot different than Samsonov. Like he's he's not a flashy goalie. He kind of just is very workmanlike. And you know, it with where Samsonov's games at, would it was he eight seventy eight save percentage or whatever? It's not yeah. gonna take. I, I like Martin Jones is not a world beater. Someone was at the game uh, last night against the Rangers, and someone was saying like, "Oh, you know, Martin Jones only had like an eight ninety save percentage last year or the last three years or whatever." It's like true, but that's better than what Samsonov is right now. So, you know, you'll take you'll take the guy who's played a ton of NHL games and given you an 890 over someone who's just really lost right now and is less than that. And I think Jones has been been totally fine uh coming in. I mean, there were some weird goals that went in uh against the Rangers that weren't his fault that just kind of bounced off people. Mm-hmm. Um but they they need someone who's just not going to be for the lack of a better word for it, who's not going to be squirrely in the net and kind of moving all over the place. And I don't know if you had a chance to read it, but Jesse Granger, who's our, our goalie expert at, at the athletic wrote about Samsonov and kind of the way he plays in the net. And, you know, there was some interesting video there that just showed how small he's making himself in the net. And, you know, Jesse kind of explained when that happens and why that happens. And uh, Jones has been able to, to just look more, calm and comfortable in there in the games he's played well he's not comfortable like and he's not confident and that tracks you, with what you're seeing right yeah you mean samson yeah yeah exactly yeah, yeah. I, I guess you you know uh just looking at this stretch what it's kind of highlighted to me is just the power of having those stars at the top of their roster they just kind of like different guys kind of carry you through different parts of the season like for the first chunk of the season it was neander more and more it's been Matthews like Tavares and Marner it's been less it's it's just been kind of here there uh Riley obviously has had a, a good season but like you you just think of that 
and you think of their decision to bring those guys back, it's it was obviously a controversial thing in the summer, and there are reasons to think it was the wrong decision, and we'll see how it plays out in the playoffs. But the power of that is like you just have guys who kind of can keep you floating. And even if the contributions at the bottom of your roster aren't as great, you just have the star power. Like it was just like evident to me watching Pittsburgh. They have like two guys who can score. Like it's it's like Crosby and Gensel and like Malkin isn't the same. And it's like the Leafs just have so many threats uh, with those stars. And you think of that game against Columbus, like how many teams when you're down five, nothing, not only do they come back, like I'm watching that game and I'm thinking, I think they could come back. Like it would not be the least bit surprising. We've seen it so many times. So that's kind of what sticks out for me about this stretch. And and I don't know that you would look at any of those guys aside from Neander, I guess now Matthews and say they've had amazing seasons. And yet Matthews is on like, he's almost a goal a game now. So that's, I don't know how you feel about that, but the star power has kind of been reinforced. Like, obviously we know that, but during this stretch, they just kind of like, pull you along in some ways. Yeah. I mean, the NHL right now is a league with a ton of parity and there are teams where you look at their roster, like, I mean, look at the roster for like the flyers or the capitals or, and there's not, yeah, they have pretty good records for what the roster looks like. And even like, you know, everyone was talking about coming into the year. San Jose got off to that poor start and they lost a lot of games. You know, I've been watching them more. I have a couple of picked up a couple of guys in the fantasy pool and keep an eye on them. Like, they're finding a way to win games and be in games, even with the lineup that they've got. So the separation factor for the Leafs is that they've got the offensive ability at the top of their lineup that very few teams around the league do, you know, they're scoring 3.6 goals a game. They're, they can paper over poor goaltending performances or missing three defensemen or not always getting a lot of offense from the bottom six forwards. They can, they can, that having four of the better offensive players in the league, it's, it's a pretty big weapon for them. The trouble for the Leafs is, I mean, it's worked in the regular season. Like, like you said, we've seen this so many times. It's just in the playoffs, that seems to be where they're, I don't know about you, Jonas, but like this far into the year, it kind of, now it's starting to feel like, okay, we're waiting for them to make a trade for a defenseman and then they're going to settle in and they're going to finish first, second or third in the division. And we're kind of just waiting again to see if the story in the playoffs is going to be different. Yeah. I think that's obviously like the big picture truth. Um, but obviously the process of like how they get there is obviously going to be important. And like you mentioned the roster, I, I just don't, I, I get why people say this now, like, while well, they're playing well, like there's no urgency to make a trade. There, there's still is urgency to make a trade. Like, I don't think it doesn't change the, the elements of their roster that need fixing. Do you know what I'm saying? Like, I, I just don't, I, I get why that's been a thing. Well, now the pressure's off Bradley Living. It's not really. They still have the same clear holes that they have to fix. And do they need to fix them today? No, but they're going to need to fix them at some point. And it's going to be interesting to see how they figure out how to fix them and what it costs and all that kind of stuff. Yeah. I mean, that's like kind of like, it feels like they can coast for lack of a better term, into the playoffs, to be honest. Like, they have that enough talent that they can do that. And the question, like, this is a good team. Like I said, we we felt they'd be in that kind of, like, six, seven, eight range in the league. What we don't know is, are they a great team? You know, 
And and you look around the league, like the Rangers are in first place right now in the league. Are they a great team? Are there any great teams? Like Boston's in second in the league and they lost Bergeron and Krejci. And, you know, the Bruins are are really impressive. They're 19-5 and 6, but they're not as dominant as they were last year. You know, with the cap being flat, it really kind of, it really takes teams down a notch. And you can have situations where a team like Vancouver doesn't make the playoffs last year. And then all of a sudden, like they're one of the better teams through the start of the season. And there's... There's a lot of parody. Yeah, it's funny you say that. I was talking to someone uh, about this the other day, and I I mentioned like, look at the Eastern Conference. Like, who is who's supposed to be a great team? And like, you look around the league, and like, who is like the big bad team? There are some very good teams, and that was their point. Like, the the cap has kind of made some of these teams just worse. Like, Tampa's just worse. You 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 look in Toronto. Obviously, they've gotten worse just because of players that they've had to lose because of the cap. Um, but like the Eastern Conference thing, it, it's kind of like you look around, James, and it's like if you're the Leafs or even if you're any of the other teams, who are you like so scared of? I, I think most people might say Florida. They, I mean, maybe Boston just because of their infrastructure. But like, I mean, Carolina obviously has their issues in goal. Like Tampa is in the same team. Like, who are you scared of? Yeah. Yeah. So. I mean, who are you saying is a clear separation better than the Leafs right now? I mean, that's the thing is that for all anyone. of the yeah for all of the like nitpicking you can do about the issues that they have, we know they're going to add a top four defenseman. Like they are. It's just the only questions, as you said, is who is it and what do they give up? So this Leafs team with another top four defenseman, presumably, like let's say it's Chris Tanev, you know, the other teams around them are going to try and be buyers at the deadline as well. You know, it, then you get into the playoffs, and it's kind of like it's going to be some coin flips going on there. I mean, the the story of the season is going to be they ran it back again with the core four. Do they do they deliver more than they did in the playoffs last year? Yes, yes. Which I know is like that's like a, what 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 number of the sequel are we on now? It's like those Jason movies where they get to like Jason <laughs> yeah. Jason Eleven or whatever. It's, you know, it's okay, let's change up the plot a little bit. Well, speaking of Tanev, I'm glad you brought him up. I do want to talk about him for a second before we get to some other stuff. Today is his birthday. The day we're recording this, he turns 34 today. He just came back from an injury recently. I think it was the other day. Does any of that trouble you at all? Like if you're the Leafs, like you're already not like super, I don't know what the word is, like athletic, young, on defense and like... I think he fits obviously what they need uh, in many ways. The the age thing and the injury factor like does would scare me like a little bit, maybe even more than a little bit. You or am I overthinking this? Well, I just think that there's only going to be so many good defensemen available. So right, and I also, you know, he's a local guy. I, I believe he's he's from the East End in Toronto. Um, yep. Believe you're right. And I think he would fit in. Like if he's healthy, he fits in. He's fine. I I think just the age thing and the injury thing, especially when you have some of these other guys like Brody, is I think he's thirty three. McCabe is thirty, and like, well, one of the questions I have, Jonas, is like, is he is Tanev coming as a rental, or is he going to sign a, a contract that's like a hometown discount that and going to stay with him for a while? And that's that can be part question. of. James. You feel better about giving up assets if he's going to be a guy who's going to be staying for a while. Yes, sort of. Like 
again, like he'll be 35. If you, let's say you sign him to an extension, he'll be 35 in the playoffs after this one. Like, I don't know. Like it just, it just give, would give me a little pause. I still think he fits and I still think it makes sense. I mean, if they could find a way to get two of those defensemen in Calgary, I mean, one of the things that, that you mentioned to me that has stuck in my mind ever since, and I don't know that it's possible is, is can you, could you find a way to get Mackenzie Weger? I mean, he, his contract isn't great. I think he's either 29 or 30, but he fits super well to what they need but well his contract's fine for how i mean he's having a career year every time i watch calgary it's like he's playing 24 minutes a night defensively offensively he's had a big breakout i just was thinking james like if if you're calgary and you're you're obviously going to be turning over something i mean they still have a lot of players in a contract like kadri and huberto so maybe it doesn't make sense for them like they still are going to want to yeah be i don't think they're giving up i asked around and they they said no one's heard his name out there so okay. you know he's he's making 625 long term 6254 until 2031 that's a long time wow and he'll be 30 in january 2031 yeah so he has an eight-year deal that just started this season yeah that and the hubert deal were Bradtree Living signings at the Jonas, end, right? I might be in the old folks' home by 2031. <laughs> so they acquired Uyghur. He's going to be playing here for, yeah. I mean, how old is he going to be in 2031? He's going to be 37 at the end of that contract. Yeah. Anyways, it, it doesn't seem like it. I do think, James, um, like they could use Tanev and somebody else who can actually help them in moving the puck and offensively, but like, I don't, you can't get everything, really, I don't think. No. And I, I like the way some of their depth defensemen have played, so I don't know that you want to bring in two guys. You know. Yeah, but those it's, guys, come on, James. Like, those guys aren't, you're not wanting to play those guys in the playoffs, I don't think. Well, I think, I, would not. I mean, it's, I don't think there's any point in the Leafs bringing in a third-pair guy because they've got, you know, like Benoit and Legacy are fine third-pair guys. Like, I don't think you need to upgrade on your third pair. Well, no, in this scenario, you're pushing people down, right? If you were to acquire, like, I've, I wrote about this. Like, if you were to acquire, I don't think it's possible, but if you were to acquire Hannafin and Tanev, then suddenly that's your second pair. And then your third pair is McCabe Logan. Then you're talking. But yeah, that's that's not easy to navigate. I mean, I thought, I thought Logan's looked pretty good since coming back. Yes, sure. Yeah. I mean, I don't think he's like back up to where he was before no. the injury, but that's a serious injury. I mean, the other guy who is topping. Our buddy Chris Johnson's trade board is Elias Lindholm, and and he would make all kinds of sense for them. So, but he again, doesn't want to play. He doesn't want to be here. Yeah, but he doesn't have a choice, right? Like he he yes, yeah. he's signed beyond this year, and yes, he would have to give up stuff. But like, he doesn't make a lot. He fits exactly what they want. And if he doesn't want to sign, he doesn't want to sign. I mean, they just went through that with Ryan O'Reilly, I guess. And that, I mean, okay, so. Yeah. You brought it up. This is a good segue. I know we we put out the call for questions, and a lot of the questions they want uh, they want us to talk about Max Domi and your piece on Max Domi. So I wondered if wow. like you have you have more space to articulate. Um, I get I, mean, I get like you know some fans love Max Domi and they're they didn't they didn't love your article. So I thought we maybe we could get into that. I mean that that Lindholm is a good segue to that because you're talking about looking for an upgrade at center and whether or not Domi fits in that role. 
he doesn't fit. I mean, I, they know he doesn't fit. That's not just me talking. Like, they know he does not fit. I mean, you you don't even have to, like, you just need to watch their actions. Like, they did not want to play him at center. That game against Pittsburgh didn't change anything that I thought about Max Domi. Like, if you read that story, it was in the story that he can make plays. He makes a lot of plays. Like, and that game was indicative of it. He also turns the puck over a lot. He is not good defensively. He is not someone that they want to play against really good players. I mean, if you look at that game, even against the Rangers, up until like the final couple minutes when they're, the game is still within reach, Domi had played like 10 minutes. Like they, they don't want to play him a ton. Like he's not an ideal number three center. He was not their plan to be the number, their number three center. None of the, the stuff that we've seen in that game and, and here and there changes that. Like he, he can help you offensively. I just think he hurts you more defensively. And I think that the question that they have is a, can you find someone who's better, who better fits that need? Someone like Lindholm who helps you both ways. And then B, what does that mean for Max Domi? Because like he did not look great on the wing. I don't know how he fits on the wing if you were to acquire a center. I just I just think there are complications and I use the word conundrum and and I think that that is legitimate. I I nothing has changed for me um with Max Domi. Like he can make a play, James. Like you saw it in that Ranger game and you you saw it. Well, I guess the question, game. Jonas, like can he be can he just be a sheltered third line that's playing like 11 minutes a night? Yeah, but like, the problem is they have to shelter other lines. Like they have to shelter their second line and like they don't really I mean, they use the the camp line more defensively. But if than you have Pat Marner and, on that second line, you shouldn't have to shelter it, right? Like you've got like he's supposed James, to be like a selkie caliber he, star yes, player he, making eleven million dollars a year. Like you shouldn't have to shelter that line. You're right, but I don't know if you've looked at the numbers. I'm writing about. I mean, my story will probably be up when the podcast comes out. The numbers for that line since they made the change have not been very good. Now, is that that's a small sample size? Like I, I think you're making a valid point. I just don't know in a playoff series how much you're going to actually want to play a line with Max Domi, Nick Robertson on it. I just don't. And like, right. again, well, like maybe what if, what if you replace Robertson though? Like what if there's like some sort of upgrade that you can find there? Yeah. I mean, yeah, that that's, that's a valid point. I don't think he is a center. Ideally. I think they think that I think their actions show that. But you're saying um, James, he's not a center, and then you're saying he can't play on the wing either. So he's like, I'm, no, I'm I'm saying when he, we saw him on the wing, he did not play well. He looked slow. He didn't look like he could impact the game as much. They've, I mean, you've seen it. Like since he moved to center, he's skating better. He's more involved. But defensively, I just don't know that it's going to work. And like the turnover thing is like not a an insignificant little detail in this thing. The reason they took him off that Tavares line to start the season was he was turning the puck over all the time. And he still like, even in the game, since I wrote the article, he turns the puck over at bad times. And if you look at his, his playoff numbers last year, everyone will say, well, he had 13 points in 19 games. It's like, yeah, he also, they were also outscored when he was on the ice at five on five. Like that's, I just think it's, it's, it's an issue for them. And I think because they've been winning, it's been kind of glossed over and papered over and, my job is is to kind of look at not just the good and and kind of see some of the issues that are percolating. And I think this is one that they know is an issue. Um, yeah, I don't know. What else do you want me to say? Anything else? Well, like expected goals against or like high danger chances against. Like Domi's coming up kind of middle of the pack on the team. So like 
I, I agree with you. He's not a great defensive player. We knew that coming into the year. I mean, there's shades of, it's kind of like a Galchenyuk or, I mean, he, he's an offense first player and he always has been. And it's part of the reason that Domi's bounced around the league. The question is, is there some utility in him being what he is and playing down the lineup and, you know, in the sheltered role. So expected goals against per 60, even strength for Domi 2.7. You know, there's a the number of players that are worse than that. It's you know Riley, Nyes, Gregor, Kampf, Matthews, McMahon, Yarncroc, Marner, Brody, Giordano, Nylander. Context, context, context. Who are those guys playing against? Yeah, no, I know, but like if I guess like if Domi is like this huge black hole defensively, then like right now he's coming up completely even in terms of like scoring chances and. And all that stuff in his minutes, like he, they're not getting, they're not getting it, filled in. Yeah, there are lots of nights when they're getting filled in. I mean, this is like this is not just me. There are, you know, are comments from Sheldon Keith on the record talking about this that defensively it has been an issue for that line. He's talked about his puck decision making. Like this is not just me, and this is not just Sheldon Keith. This is like an organizational thing that they are thinking about. I am a hundred percent confident of that. So this, this goes back to what we were talking about with like the parody and the mediocrity around the league and like you you know it's you can you don't build a perfect team in the nhl anymore so like every team's got holes and the leafs you know do they have the perfect third line right now that they can trust and play in a lot of minutes no um are they going to be able to address that by the deadline i i don't know uh, those numbers I, I quoted with like the uh, scoring chances against or whatever, that's over the last 16 games. So that's basically the mostly the period where he's played center. I didn't, I, I thought I was looking at the whole year, but I was not. I was just looking at the last 16 games. I mean, let me ask you this. If you had to guess today, is he their third line center when the playoffs start? Um, I don't, I've looked at like what's a potentially available and, you know, like Adam Henrique and Anaheim maybe could be someone that he had a hat trick recently. He's a guy that I've actually liked for a few years. Um, you'd have to get a full, you'd have to get 50% retention on him because I think he's making 5.6 or something like that. Um, I know you mentioned Scott Lawton. He's having not a good year. But yeah. Yeah. Oh, I mean, that's the thing. Like, some of these guys is like, how big of an upgrade is this really? Like, are you going to trust whoever, you know, who, whoever you're bringing in? I mean, but it's interesting that they don't want to, like, like they don't, they don't see Yarncroc as a center, even though he played some center in Nashville. He's not a center. He, he does not like playing center. <laughs> he does not like it. I see. He's not. But it's like on most NHL teams, you have more guys that can play center than the Leafs do. Like, they just don't have a lot of players who are comfortable down the middle. Yeah. I mean, this has been an issue for a while. Like, Kerfoot was kind of the epitome of this. Like, if I had to guess, James, I don't think he's their third-line center in the playoffs. But, like you said, like, it's not easy to fill all these these spots. I just think, like, I can see them getting into a playoff series and using camp more, and that ends up being kind of like they basically have two fourth lines, and they just use right. equally. So does that count as... I don't know. Domi, That's a good question. Not being- <laughs> yeah, I guess. Yeah, maybe. Maybe. I don't know. Well, like, so the last 16 games, which is the period that the Leafs have been on this this hot streak, and since they sat Klingberg, Camp is playing 10-16 per game at 5-on-5, five five, and Domi is playing 11-04. So and there's not that much separation there. It's it's really like almost like they have two first lines and two fourth lines. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway, I'm glad you brought it up. I, I just, I, I don't know why it's, why he's so 
why it's such passion. Like it, to me, it seems pretty clear. Um, the issues. Well, people, I mean, people love, people like Max Domi. I mean, his dad is like a folk hero here in the city and we've talked about that before. So like, you know, and they, they like that, that he's willing to drop the gloves and get in there too. And like, well, he is competitive. I think that that is like absolute. I, I always thought this talk of like, they needed more of that is, is kind of bullshit to be honest, because I think they were like that a lot last year, especially after the trade deadline. Like they had a lot of that competitive juice, I guess you would say, but he definitely, like, he tries. Um, there's no doubt about it. I mean, that's part of what I think some of the fan base is hanging their hat on, that what Tree Living talked about changing the culture and more boogers or whatever <laughs> he thinks that they need, that, that that's going to be part of what puts them over the hump when they get to the postseason. And we'll see. That Bertuzzi and Domi and Reeves, I guess... Um, but even, you know, guys like Legison and Benoit have like a little bit of physicality to them too. Yeah. Some fair. All right. Uh, let's take a break and then let's talk about some different players. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need a fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. All right, James, uh, before we get to questions and before we talk a little bit about 2023 and 2024, there's a few guys I wanted to kind of pick your brain on. And you mentioned one and I've been hearing like a lot of like he's played like he's the signing has worked. I, I don't know, like and, and the guy I'm talking about is Tyler Bertuzzi. I think if they weren't winning all these games, there would be a lot more questions about Tyler Bertuzzi. How many goals do you think he has in the last 10 games? Uh, not many. I mean, he had the three assist game against Pittsburgh. Zero. Yeah. He's on pace, I believe, for like 13 goals, 30-odd points. Last I looked, he was, yeah, he was on pace for 29 points. I think that was before the Pittsburgh game. It's interesting, and, though, like, you talk about, like, the defensive side of stuff, and, like, like Bertuzzi has been way more noticeable the last 10 games. Like, he's been, he's been a factor, I think, for them on the ice, and they've been controlling play, and they definitely have been controlling play. I mean, again, the matchups are what they are. And I just, yeah, I just don't know. I mean, it's there some games and I'm just like, yeah, that's, the, and I, and I think in the playoffs, like he's a guy I, I kind of know, maybe not know is too strong, but like think will be in the fight. Like you're not going to have to look hard for him. It's just been up kind of up and down like well i think his offensive game was overrated a little bit coming into toronto like i think you know people were like oh he's gonna get 35 goals and he's gonna be like the next level of bunting and you know bertuzzi 
has produced offensively at times in Detroit and Boston, but often he was on the first power play unit. So like as an even strength scorer, he's not, he's not like a 60 point guy. He's not like a 35 goal 60, you know, he's not, it's not just, that's not really what he is. And he's older and he's had the injuries and, but I, I like the way that he's playing. Like I like the, I like the fight that he has. I mean, the, they they needed more players like this. I mean, the bet for the Leafs is that he's going to be something more in the playoffs, which I think is what you're alluding to. Yeah, and that's like that's what I'll be curious about because it, uh, obviously he had huge numbers during that series with Boston. A lot of it was on the power play. You mentioned the power play. He's not on the first power play. He doesn't get that many opportunities on the power play. I mean, what is his production on the power play this year? It is. I don't think he has a lot. Yeah, two power play goals, one power play assist. Um. And it's just like, James, like every time I watch Edmonton, I'm I'm reminded of like the decision with, with Zach Hyman. Obviously, that's a long time in the past. It just, I was wrong about that. It was a mistake not signing him because like he's making the same money as Tyler Bertuzzi and granted it's on a one-year deal, but Zach Hyman's just gotten so much better every year. And anyway, I'm just kind of curious to see how it plays out. And, and I mentioned that line, that line just hasn't been as good with Marner on it. And that's like, that was one of the, the tricky parts about making that change is that Neilander Bertuzzi Tavares group had been so good. And since then it's just been not as good. And Matthews has obviously taken off. So that's a good thing for them. And I think you know, Neilander in terms of goals has, has quieted down, but he's still playing well. So I guess that's what you want. I mean, I just think it's, it's, he's been interesting. Like he, I don't know that he's, he certainly hasn't over delivered, I don't think he's underdelivered, but he's somewhere in the middle. You know, he's he's only got an eight percent shooting percentage. So I mean there's there's part of it where he's gonna break through a little bit more, but the thing you notice too is that he's not he's not really generating like a ton of shots. He's almost more it feels like more like a playmaker, or or at least he has been. Like it it almost looks like he's like trying to find guys more. You know, in some of the plays in, in, in the Pittsburgh game, that was the one that he had three assists in Pittsburgh, right? Mm-hmm. He did. Against Pittsburgh. Yeah. Um, he's he's a he's a better passer than I expected, and and maybe less of a net front jam play. I don't know. But I, I think that there are more goals there, and I think they're gonna come. And he looks certainly looks a lot more I mean, the first ten or twelve games was kind of a mess for him, and I think he's settled in since then. So I, I don't I'm not super concerned about Bertuzzi at this point. Um, I'm just not. I don't. I don't think he's that high on the list of things okay. to be concerned about with the Leafs right now. Okay. Uh, let's move on to somebody else. Um, I have lots of options actually. Let's talk about Tavares. He obviously had the 1,000 point ceremony. I thought that was pretty good. I thought they did a good job with that. Um, nine goals, 20 assists, 29 points, 29 games, averaging almost 19 minutes. 62% almost on the face-off or in the face-off circle. The underlying numbers, like you mentioned, have been good. Not as good of late, but good. Um, what do you think of, of Tavares' season so far? Is it kind of just like, this is just what you expect with John Tavares? Like, it's just going to be relatively steady. I think, like, the goal production has, has dipped a bit. He's not getting almost anything on the power play, which I've brought up a bunch. But I think he's been fine. Like, you? It's kind of weird you know, like the power play was such a big part of what he did last year and his contribution to the team. And for that to fall away, it's almost like he's, to me, he's been better at even strength this year than last year. 
and just a lot less noticeable on the man advantage. And I don't know if that's like a conscious thing that they're they they were trying to change. It it seems like maybe that the power play system moved away from him being as much of a factor. Um, I, but I, to answer your question, I I think yeah, I think this is what you expect from him. I mean, the, the, you, you know, we talk about Bertuzzi, we talk about Tavares. I mean, really, and I don't know if he's next on your list or not. I mean, really, the uh, the biggest concern for me is is Marner just still he's hasn't been as dynamic. Like, so any combination that you put him on, if Marner's not what we've come to expect from Marner, it's it's going to make an impact on everybody else. And you know, part of the thinking I think with with breaking up the lines and changing it up is that in the past, Tavares and Marner have always had a really strong connection, and we haven't really seen that so far with them together. Yeah, so we can talk about Marner because he was on the list. Um, I wrote about him today, as I mentioned, so he's he's very much top of mind. I think there have been like hints of him looking more like himself lately. Like he's, you can see it in like little things, like he's he's knocking pucks out of midair down. He's he's stripping guys. Uh, of the puck and that's something he's always really good at and he turns those opportunities into scoring chances he's been getting behind the defense a lot getting better looks for himself he's obviously scoring a bunch he's on pace james uh it's either 37 or 38 goals which is like and if you look his five on five numbers like in terms of like pure totals he's right among the league leaders like he has as many five on five goals when we're recording this as pasternak he has more five on five goals than neander than mcdavid and Jack Hughes, like it's, it's been such a weird year because if you look at a lot of the underlying stuff, it's like, it's not just not what it was, it's bad. And so you wonder like, is this just another slow start? Is there something else going on? Um, what have you made of, of Marner? Do you, do you see signs that he's coming on or do you just think the puck is going in? And so it looks a little bit better. Well, I think you see examples of it in games or you see certain games where he's dangerous, but you're right. Like, it's just like not, he's not taking over games. He's not dominating. Even, you know, like the penalty kill, he used to be such a factor. Haven't really noticed that this year. Um, haven't noticed the individual efforts as much this year where he creates something out of nothing. Um, it, I mean, correct me if I'm wrong. It just feels like a lot of the time when you're seeing highlight real plays now, it's, it's the Nylander and Matthews show. And, Marner's just hasn't been as noticeable. Yeah, I mean, how's this for a stat or a couple stats actually for you? I think one of the things that's been interesting for me and and the numbers back up the eye test, he's just not creating. I mean, maybe there's some like passing numbers that aren't publicly available that tell a different story, but I just don't think they are, probably are. Um, he's just not creating as many plays for others as you're used to. And if you look over the last 17 games, James, he has one primary five on five assist one and if you look on the season he has fewer primary five on five assists than matthews than neilander than Tavares, and domi he's fifth on the team he is five all season he has 10 five on five assists this year and it's just like yeah that kind of meets the eye test and then you look at like some of the underlying stuff for the team when he's on the ice it's all way down uh like two years ago remember he had that awesome 20 one twenty-two season. Uh, they had 41 scoring chances per 60 minutes when he was out there. They have 10 less per 60 this year. And it's like, yeah, that kind of meets, that kind of makes sense. Well, and, and they're giving up a lot when he's out there too, like a lot yeah. more than, you know, like there, there's not in past years, there's been sulky, like he's gotten sulky votes and it's just, like, he's just not that. in that conversation. Yeah. 
he's just not in that conversation at all this year. And I, again, I don't know the explanation for that other than just a really slow start for him that he needs to find a way to work his way out of because. Yeah. Well, well, I would wonder in if like every year, I mean, not every year, but lots of these years, he has great regular seasons, really productive. Some of the most productive the team has ever had. And I wonder if like in the back of your mind, you're just like, no one really cares about that stuff until I get to the playoffs. And maybe you're just like, I don't know, like I, I, he cares and he plays hard. Like none of that stuff has changed, but I wonder just in the back of your mind, if you're just like, he's maybe just kind of like waiting for the playoffs and like, that's when he really has to prove it. And, and what I hit on in the story and why I think this is a really important year for him is like, they're at a kind of a crossroads with him or will be next summer when he can sign an extension. Will they want to sign him to an extension? That's maybe as a $12 million cap hit. He has no trade clause, no, not just no trade clause, no movement clause. So even if they don't want to, it's not like they can just move him easily uh, if he doesn't want to be moved. So it's there's a lot really riding on this year and him needing to find another gear, especially in the playoffs. Because if like he has another playoffs like he's had and they have another playoffs like they've had, they're going to be in a really interesting position in terms of deciding what to do with him and what to do with the team. Yeah, and I know that that's some of the questions that we got today or people saying, you know, what happens if they don't have success in the playoffs? Like, who's back? Who's not back? I think some of that question, the the Nylander piece of it is is going to be related because they're not going to want to lose both those guys. So if they can't get the Nylander situation done, then there's probably even more pressure to get Marner signed, right? I can't see them moving off of both of them, especially, you know, Tavares' deal is going to be up a year later. Um. Well, and James, the difficult thing for them in that situation would be Marner would have all kinds of leverage in that spot, you right. know, like, and he's always, I mean, it's, it's, he's in a, a weird spot because he already makes a lot like 10.9. And obviously now the, the ceiling for any NHL player is 13 to five with Matthews. He's going to want to be somewhere in between. Like you would think it would be 12. And it's like, if, if it doesn't go well in the playoffs, like he can still turn around. Like that's, I mean, it's well, kind of crazy. Bad luck for the Leafs that like the cap just starts going up right when those contracts expire. Like they sign them to contracts that yeah. made sense. And then that made sense in an environment where the cap would keep going up. Then the cap is flat for the, basically the duration of the Tavares, Marner, Matthews contracts. And then now the cap's going to jump a lot. And all of a sudden they're up again. It, like, it's just like, you couldn't script that any worse. I don't think for, for the Leafs. Yeah. It's a good point. Um, do you want to do any other players? I had a couple more, but we should talk about the rest of the year. Uh, what do you think? One more? We got questions to get to too soon, so you got to uh, we got to keep this this show moving here, Jonas. Okay, how about one more player? Let's All talk right. about uh, Morgan Riley. Um, I think more and more, and it's funny. Sheldon Keefe was asked after the Rangers game, like if he gets enough credit, and he has literally been asked that. Like, I don't think he's been asked it like more than twice, but he's been asked it before. And I think he's getting enough credit. I don't know how you feel. Like he's playing a ton of minutes. Um, his production has been very good. He's shooting the puck a lot. Um, th- some of the underlying stuff hasn't been as great lately, just because I think the minutes have piled up. The difficulty of the minutes, the amount of minutes. Uh, what have you seen from uh, Riley? Yeah, I, for me, it's not the offensive piece with him because he's always got that. It's just it feels like. I, I, especially early on this year, 
defensively, there was a lot more attention to detail, I think, for Riley and a lot, you know, better gap control. And I mean, he's really had to carry the team. And if if Riley had not had a good season, they would be in a really tough spot just with the injuries they've had on the blue line. And they've had to use him in all the most difficult situations. Brody, some nights you can really see the age catching up with him, and he's yeah. not looking as unflappable as he's been in the past. And that puts even more pressure on Riley. But it's interesting, you know, over the stretch where the Leafs have been winning a lot of games and piling up a lot offensively, there's been a lot coming back their way when Riley's been on the ice. And that's something I would want to keep an eye on. But he's one of those players, though. Like, he's a, he's a high event player. You know, like, there's the Leafs generate a lot and they give up a lot when he's on the ice. And I think the good news for the Leafs is he's been on the right side of that a lot more this year than in some past years where the defensive side of things have gotten away from him a bit. Yeah, to me, James, like that's just like this is not the perfect role for him. Like ideally, he is not your first deterrent against top lines, mm-hmm. but that's just the way they're structured. Like they just don't really have a choice. And I mean, I I think it would work better if you had, I don't know, like TJ Brody from two years ago, or like you had a really elite. Def- I mean, he is a really elite defender, but you know what I mean. Like I wonder if you complimented him with someone. I mean, I guess Brody is that guy. I guess I guess I just don't know that this is the perfect way to use him where he's having to face top lines every night and like they don't totally trust the other pairs to play those kinds of minutes like if you watch through the game he he's out there like every other shift he's just out there so much and it just yeah. has to take a toll and like he's not the best defender obviously so it's not like a perfect way to use him but yeah I mean he's been very good and all they can really ask is that he kind of just keeps this up and like plays as he has in the playoffs. Like he's been, he's been the one guy who's you look at his playoff performance and you're like, he's not just played well, he's played better than he did in the regular season. And I think all of that is the argument for in an ideal world, you'd be adding another top two defenseman who can take some of the defensive load off of Riley. It's just, yeah. I mean, Hannafin's out there. I just, there's just not a lot of, not a lot of options and do the Leafs have the assets to give up to get someone like that? I think they could probably make it work cap wise, especially if you can get some retention on the other side. Like they can, the Leafs can probably make a lot work cap wise with Klingberg on LTIR the rest of the year. Um, the question is like just who's available and are the Leafs going to be able to be the highest bidder with what they're going to be able to give up given they've traded so many picks and their prospect pool is what it is right now. Yeah, it just reminds me, and, and they showed him during the broadcast and he was up there in the press box. Like it just reminds me of what they had in Jake Muzzin and how kind of perfect he was for what they needed in like so many different ways. And obviously he was starting to get injured. Obviously that was part of it. He was declining a little bit, but he was like such a perfect compliment to have to Riley because he could do everything that we're talking about. And Mm -hmm. it's so different from Riley and so different from what they had. And like, you think back to that, uh, 21, 22 playoff against Tampa when it, uh, it was Muzzin Brody, I believe was the pair. And it was like, yeah, that was that was kind of like ideal for them when those two are like kind of your top line combo. And then you had Riley kind of moving around, playing a lot of minutes. He played with Labushkin that year. Anyway, they, they, like they really had something in, in Jake Muzzin. It's just like a shame for him and a shame for them that it worked out the way it did with injury. Yeah, and um, everyone, uh, the assumption is that if the Leafs do get Tanev and they find a way to make that work, that he'll play with Riley, but maybe you want Tanev in a more strictly defensive role and you want to free Riley up to, I I just don't know. I guess yeah, it's it complicated like that. Yeah. Like you would you have to go Brody. Yeah. 
you, you have to go Brody with Tanev or something. And then, yeah. And you could play McCabe on his offside. Like I thought McCabe actually played better on his offside than he did on his left. Now there were a lot of I, factors in that, but I wonder if he's like, just like not roaming as much when he's on the right side or I, I don't yeah. know, what the, but yeah, you're right. I think he did look better on the right side. Like maybe he's just not being as, I mean, he, didn't, he made a nice play on the one uh, Matthews goal against the Rangers. So he's got, he's been putting up points surprisingly. Yeah. McCabe yeah. has been, he's been a lot better. Yeah. there's no doubt. Um, all right. Uh, before we get to questions, just a quick thought on 2023 for the Leafs. Pretty like a lot of shit happened to put it in rough terms, blunt terms. Um, like you think back, obviously they win a playoff series for the first time in forever. Then they don't win another playoff series. Then they fire the GM all of a sudden in the midst of contract contract negotiations. They bring back the core. They change GMs. They make some alterations to the roster. What do you make of 2023 for the Leafs? So I was at the game last night and I actually went and sat in the stands and I was with some Leafs fans. They were talking about it and, you know, they were... Their argument was, uh, and I had this conversation with with Chris Johnston too, um, that 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 the playoff series lost to Florida wasn't as bad as it's as it's being made out to be in some corners, and that they were actually closer to, you know, I know they lost in five games, but do you put any like that was like that's that's really what, you know, if they don't lose that series and and they continue on, then who knows what happens with the fallout with the front office and everything, and like maybe maybe things are different, so. I don't know. I don't know. Like, do you feel looking back at that that second round Florida series that they played well enough to win it, and that that gives you hope that if they end up in another second round series against Florida or Boston, that things might turn their way this time? I mean, you could look at it that way because you could look at it and say, you know what, you, all those games were close. Like game one, four two. Game two, three two. Three two overtime loss. They win game four, two, one, and then they lose game five in overtime, three, two. And they played well in game five, remember? Like it was. Yeah. And if you, if you look at game two, they were up two, nothing. And then obviously they lose three, two. The the one game where they sucked was game three. And like, that's there, you're down two, nothing. And you play like, that was the one that really stood out, but it was like, I don't, I don't think lethargic is the right word, but it was like, it didn't have the urgency that you would expect of a team in that position, I think was what was concerning. And yeah. I think when, when you asked that question, what, what kind of came to mind for me is like, well, it looked a lot like a lot of the other series where their, their star players in particular didn't look comfortable or didn't look like they were in control. And yet they did have chances like Bobrovsky was outstanding. And maybe if a few of those go in, the series changes, the series obviously would change. And yet we also did see moments in that Tampa series where their star players did find that and find that other gear. They also were outplayed in that series by Tampa. Not handily, but they were played. So I don't know. Like, I don't know what to make of it. And with their history, it's hard to give them the benefit of the doubt. Um, I don't know. Like, did did you see signs that there's something there that they unlocked? Like, they did, they did beat a good team in Tampa. Like, it was close. Obviously, a lot of those games were you know, a few of them were blowouts, but a lot of them were close. Well, I mean, I guess it's, I guess it's not, <laughs> the, I guess the upside is it's not like an embarrassing defeat, like losing to Columbus or Montreal and, you know, or, you know, so, some of the other playoffs where it's been, 
no-show performances at key times. So I think it was, I think maybe it was a small step in the right direction. I mean, you're asking for like to reflect on the year. I think that I don't know how you could not go back to like the playoffs are, are what matters for this, this team. And I know I, I keep saying that, but it's, it just feels like this year it needs to build. They need to take whatever lessons they can from that playoff series and apply them to this coming year. And maybe one of the lessons is that they're not that far away and, they're kind of crossing their fingers that they're going to get a better goaltending performance and they can bring in another defenseman and that they're going to be able to come out on the right side of these. What It's going to be really, really close, whoever they play in the playoffs. Yeah, it's just one of the things like you hear around them, James, is like, does Bradtree Living, does management think that this team is good enough to invest a lot in terms of like upgrading the roster or do they, do they not think that? And I... I mean, they're in a position like we talked about, I think, last week. Like, they have to be going for it all the time. Like, they can't yeah. be like, well, we'll see no. what happens next year. Like, they're I mean, not in that position. Your window is like, you've got Matthew signed. You've, you've still got, you know, the, the core four is all there. Riley's there and Riley's not going to get any younger. I mean, you just, you just keep pushing for it. Now, that doesn't mean necessarily that you trade four first round picks at the deadline, but I think you'd, they they have to add at least one piece and ideally two and they've got the cap space to do it. So I think that's where they're at. And then you just hope, I mean, look at the game against the Rangers. Like that's a, it's a close, close game and the Rangers are in first place in the league right now. And I think that that's where the Leafs are. I think that it makes sense. It makes sense for them to keep pushing on it. And, you know, people say that, you know, the definition of insanity is doing the same thing over and over again, expecting a different result. (laughs) But in the NHL, it almost sometimes it makes sense, you know, to maybe not doing the exact same thing, you know, and that's where I come back to, like, that's part of why Bertuzzi and, and Domi and I think why the fans are defensive of them and they're looking to them as like they're part of the the culture change that they feel like this team needs to 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 play with a team like Florida and have a little bit more nastiness than they've had in the past. All right, let's take a break and then let's get into some more of those questions from the fans. Fans? Listeners. Listeners. They're Leaf fans. They're not James and Jonas fans. Right? Right. I I think they're both. Okay. Whatever. Thanks. We'll be back. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Okay, James, uh, what do you got? All right, Ryan, this is the question. 32 people have thumbs up this and wants us to answer this question. Ryan says, uh, do you think that the success with Marner and Domi playing together in the, the Pittsburgh game should reopen the discussion of spreading the big four across three lines instead of the top two lines? Uh, if so, what is your view of the best version of the four lines with such a configuration? Uh, could there be pairings across the lines, something like Matthews with Nylander, Tavares with Bertuzzi, Marner with Domi? That's his question. What do you think? You know what's funny is like coming out of that Pittsburgh game, I had that thought and wondered if like they would at least maybe for a game leave it. And then 
the question becomes like, who do you play with Matthews in that situation? Because in that scenario, you would keep Bertuzzi and Neander with Tavares. You would play, I guess, I guess Yarncroc, or I guess you would play Robertson and Marner with Domi. And then it's like you play Yarncroc and who with Matthews. And like, you're not really, you're not giving him a ton of help. You're not giving him really any playmaking. You're putting a lot on his shoulders. And yet, well, in Ryan's configuration, he had Matthews still with Nylander. But then, then the question is, are you getting enough from the Bertuzzi You're Tavares? Not, right? right? Yeah, I don't think you are. And the other thing, too, is like if you only feel comfortable playing Domi in 10, 11 minutes at even strength the game, you put Marner with him. Is Marner getting enough minutes? But maybe you do like the kind of maybe Sheldon Keep does his Franken lines where he's got like some different combinations that he's using throughout the game. <clears throat> yeah, it's an interesting thought. I mean, yeah, I, I don't see it happening. And uh, this is kind of playing out. It's funny. Like, it, it does feel like Groundhog Day in a lot of ways. Like, this is basically what happened last year in a lot of different ways. The injuries, the run that they go on. Marner starts with Matthews. Then Neander Bad start. Matthews, bad start. Like, it's just like yeah. it's, a, it's a lot of the same stuff. And yet, it's also different. I mean, I guess the goaltending has been different at times, but also the same. That's <laughs> funny. The second most liked question is the same thing. Yeah, and in this version, uh, Michael has a question, and he says the lines could be Matthews, Gregor, Yarncroc, but I think to your point, it doesn't really give Matthews a lot to work with, especially because you want Matthews playing against other teams' top lines. Yeah, I, I, mean, I think what people are are people just like the look of Domi and Marner together. Like they they could see like the comfort there, and obviously there's like the London Knights connection, and um, they're they're just they're fun to watch offensively. So I can see it from that perspective. By the way, we should mention what is it? Twenty five goals in twenty eight games. Just yeah, standard stuff. I wonder if he's gonna put himself into the conversation for the hard trophy here at some point. Well, if this keeps up and and obviously they're a top five team, I don't know how it doesn't. I mean, who would? I was thinking about this. It's funny, like we don't talk about the MVP that much in hockey, like throughout the year. I know we write about it at the Athletic. We have like awards watch. Who do you think the favorite is like right now? Like uh, we had to pick our person at the athletic. We did a poll. Uh, I put Kale McCarr and I didn't feel like amazing about it, but I don't like, who would you pick? Who did you pick? I think I also picked McCarr actually. It's interesting that like, or, or maybe I picked Hughes, uh, Jack Hughes. I mean, the, both the Hughes brothers are potentially there. Um, I don't mind the idea of a defenseman getting some love for the heart. I think that it should happen more than it does. Yeah. Right. But it's like, there's not really like a clear person running away with it. Obviously in past years, it was always McDavid and he's like starting to climb. And like, if he keeps climbing and they keep, I mean, they've taken a step back a little bit since, uh, but if they're a top 10 team and he has 120 points or something, he'll be in there. But if Matthews has like 60 goals and the Leafs are fifth or sixth in the league, He's there, right? Like I pointed out and we talked about this last week, like the amount of people to score 60 twice is like almost no, nobody. So yeah, we'll see. All right. We have a different Mitch, Mitch P. Mitch P wants to know, uh, how do we feel about Nick Robertson at this point? Um, you know, he says the last few weeks to my eyes, he's taking care of his responsibilities on D he's been responsible with the puck. He's forechecking hard. He looks dangerous on a decent line. Uh, feels like he's fighting for a roster spot, though, given his low time on ice and sparing Houston most situations. 
I think that Robertson has been okay, but part of what allows him to look okay is he's not playing a lot of minutes and he's playing sheltered minutes and you know he's playing against other teams fourth fourth lines and and I think that at this point in his career that's what he is and that's what he I mean he's playing on one of the better teams in the NHL. I think if he went to a weaker team he could he could eat more minutes and get more power play time and use that shot a little bit more, but on this team this is the role that's available and I think he's still finding his way in terms of figuring out how to be effective playing as playing the minutes he he is getting and with who he's playing with. And I think he's been fine. I mean, I, I don't know what, how you feel Jonas. Yeah, I think probably the same. I, like I still don't think that they really trust him, which isn't like super surprising for a rookie, especially a smaller rookie. Who's not like a, a blazing, whatever, like in terms of speed. I don't, I don't know. Like some, it, it's, it's tough for him to get his shot off in, in actually areas that are, he's going to be able to score. Like he is, when does he have three goals? Three goals in 18 games. And if you look at his shot map, like it's a it's a lot from distance. Like he's not the biggest guy. He's not the strongest guy. Like it, to me, it's it seems like it's harder for him to get to where you score goals. He's also not on the power play at all. That isn't ideal for him in terms of his production. I I'm dubious as to whether he'll be in their playoff lineup, but he's a rookie. Like this is like I know he's been around a while and he he's had kicks at the can, but this is really like his first extended stretch where he's been healthy and he's playing and he's just, he's still young. Like, what is he? 22. Yeah. So I'll be interested to see how much of a push they make to add a forward at the deadline, if at all, or if it, the focus is solely on improving the defense. Well, if it's not a center, is it just getting like another like young crocky kind of player who can, I mean, I would try and do that, but I just, I don't know or if the organization's thinking about that at all as all as something that they need or that they want to give up assets for. Well, I, I I think what they're, I think what they're concerned is probably the wrong word, but like curious is is if they're going to be good enough defensively. Like that is still the thing. And if you look at like some of their five on five defensive numbers aren't great. They don't have like a ton of great defensive players. So like I think that's something. Obviously, defensemen like Tanev would help in that respect, but that is an area I think of focus for them. Like, do they have? enough defensively and you mean in terms of forwards too though right? As, like if they yeah. bring in an, if yeah. they bring in another forward you're probably looking for someone who can help you on the penalty kill who can yes. you know make either the fourth line or the third line more responsible defensively do you think that reeves would be in the playoff lineup if the playoffs started tomorrow no i mean if he and he was healthy no. And you can see like how different their fourth line looks when he's not on it. Like McMahon, like since we last talked about him, he's come on a bit like that. That line suddenly feels kind of fast and like the numbers still aren't amazing for them. But no, I, d- I don't think so. Do That's you? what they need is they need that fourth line just to be like to be able to forecheck and play some defensive minutes, take some defensive zone starts, get the puck down to the other end, you know, and with Gregor's speed, he should be able to do that. Uh, Gary wants to know, simple question, has Benoit solidified himself as a bottom pair NHL defenseman? I mean, I, from what I've seen, he, he's certainly good enough to be on a third pair on a good team in the NHL. Um, still too early for me to say that, but sure. So let's say if they get Tanev and you're, you're going, then Benoit would be the one that would come out. So you would be going, I mean, I guess the, all those good news are out, right? Yeah. 
the thing they're going to run into is if you if if at the deadline they're trying to go close to the cap, they're going to have to put a bunch of people on waivers, or they're going to have to trade them the other way in the deals. Yeah, you I mean, know, like, you know what you know what I think Benoit is 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 good for for them. He's is he can potentially and, and Lagasin too. Maybe they can be like Mark Giordano insurance in the playoffs. Like if you get into the playoffs and the same thing happens again, like you can just take him out. There's not even like, and you have someone who like not isn't going to change any worlds, but like can be just competent for ten minutes. You know, like I, I think. I mean, I would think about that. playing Benoit over Giordano like straight up, like not even like worrying for him to falter and waiting for him to falter in the playoffs. I don't think that'll happen, but I mean, you never know. Okay, so Riley Tanev would be, and then what would you do, McCabe, Brody, maybe? That's, I mean, in theory, or yeah. Brody, like Brody Logren. Yeah, like the thing is, like that Brody McCabe thing really didn't work in the playoffs. Maybe right. James, maybe you just like they really like Riley Brody. Maybe just keep Riley Brody and like you go McCabe Tanev. It's just mm-hmm. like, do you have enough like puck moving mobility? I mean, do you, you would play that group against top lines? I guess. I'm I not, guess not sure. McCabe's not really a shutdown defenseman. That's like he likes to like just roam and like he's. I don't know. I mean, he's supposed to be. That's supposed to be his thing, right? Defense, but I don't think that's what he is, though. Yeah, I mean, I, he's kind yeah. of more like a two-way guy than a just a lock it down type. But if you play him with Tanev, I guess that gives you the defense more of the defensive push there than that you want. Yeah, and then I guess your third pair in that scenario would be Giordano Lilligren. Or yeah, or Legison or Benoit with Lilligren. Right. I mean, I, that seems fine to me. It's okay. I mean, it's it's not like any of the defense groups that have won the cup in recent years, but like a lot of those de- teams don't have the offensive players that the Leafs have. So, uh, Jack's question is uh, a lot of advanced stats like the shot metrics and expected goals don't seem to love the Leafs so far this year. At the same time, they're sixth in terms of uh, points percentage, not far behind Boston and New York at the top of the East. What's causing the gap between? Uh, some of those analytics and uh, and where they are in the standings. He says uh, the PDO is not that high. Uh, nothing they're doing feels that sust- unsustainable to me, but what are you guys seeing? I mean, the biggest thing that is unsustainable for the Leafs is like, I think we talked about this last week, like winning so many games in shootouts over time, uh, being in one goal games and coming out on the right side over and over and over again. That's yeah. not always going to go their way. So they probably have they might have like two or three points more than they deserve right now, but I don't think their record is way out of whack with, with what they've done because especially since they shut down uh, Klingberg and they started playing Reeves less as a team, those underlying metrics have come up considerably. And, and let me, I think I have that. They're still not somewhere. great, James. Like I, I think you, so the paid, last, by the 16 way, games, they're yeah. 11th at five on five in, uh, expect a goal share. So like, they're not like world beaters, but, and then if you look at the, the, uh, the scoring chance numbers, they're even higher than that. They're like up in around eighth. So, and I think that's, I think that's about right. It's like where you mentioned their PDO in that stretch. It's almost one Oh three. That's a little, but but Jonas, but that's not how you, you don't look at PDO on like a 15 game stretch. Like that doesn't, why wouldn't you just look at the whole season with what they've accomplished with it? I just think that there's a world where, their record in that stretch is a lot different. I don't agree with you totally, but that's okay. 
five on five PDO one oh two. Like there I don't know, it's not like way out of whack. I mean that maybe it came down a little bit with the uh the loss to the Rangers there, but I, I think that the their record is about what it should be. Like I think, you know, seventh, eighth in the league is about what they've accomplished. And they've accomplished that with the injuries on defense and with Samsonov being brutal. So yeah, but he hasn't played that many games. Like he's played 13 games. I guess that's a big chunk of their total 29. So yeah. I mean, listen, like I just not convinced yet, but we'll see. Uh, Anthony wants to know, would it be smart to trade Samsonov in his 3.5 with the 4 million Klingberg LTIR money? He can get a difference maker on the back end and roll with Wool and Jones. Or is that too risky given Wool's injury history, not playing many pro games in a full season previously? I want to see the goaltending play out a little bit longer. I'd like to see more of Jones and see Wool come back and play well again um, before saying I'm comfortable with that in net. But if Samsonov doesn't get it together here in the next little while, I don't know that you can count on him to even be the backup going into the playoffs, right? Yeah, but the tricky thing is like to trade him, you're gonna have to trade something with him, right? Like he teams aren't just gonna be like, Yeah, cool, we'll take him. Like you if I'm just, him, you could get like you get at least like some cap relief, or you could trade him and retain half of it or something. And yeah. But like you point out, like so much has to play out. Like we'll see how Jones manages, we'll see what happens when Wall comes back, we'll see if Samsonov can turn it around. Like it, it's a lot of unknown about this. It's just the Samsonov vibes are not great, obviously. No, no. All right. I'll do one more fun one. Should we do one Christmas question here? Sure. Uh all right. I'm gonna give I'm gonna give some love to <clears throat> Jordan here in the comments. Posted an epic an epic comment or slash question. And he's comparing Christmas movies to different maple leaves. Okay. Mm-hmm. Okay. Uh, and I think it's like the movie Tear. Um, so he says Christmas Vacation is Austin Matthews because it's the gold standard and Matthews has a good sense of humor. What do you think about that? Does that work for you? I mean, it's we Christmas- talked about that movie last week. Like to me, it's not the gold standard, but I get it. What's the gold standard for a Christmas movie for you? I think for me, it's probably one of Elf or Home Alone. Okay, so... So my daughter, my daughter's five, and on Sunday I was home with her, and it was like a daddy daughter day, and she wanted she wanted to watch Home Alone, so we watched it, and then the next day I was with my son, and he's like, Dad, let's watch Home Alone. It's like I just I just watched this last night, so watch Home, home Alone's Alone been, too. It's been, I, I yeah, when I was at the game last night, he watched it uh, with his with his mom. So, um, but it's it's just funny, like I I'm, I've overdosed on Home Alone actually, and I'm watching it on Sunday. I hadn't seen it in a few years. It it. Uh, it's great. It held up. And it's great to watch with kids too, because they love it. Like you can see it's it's um it's a classic. Okay. All right. So anyway, Jordan thinks that Christmas vacation I, I have more love for Christmas vacation than uh than you do, but uh I don't know about it being the gold standard. Okay, so his next one is uh It's a Wonderful Life is Mark Giordano. That's a good uh one. it's a a classic. Uh when it when he's on, it's great. <laughs> um he says Jake McCabe is Scrooge. Uh, you're not sure it would go well, but it's turning into a redemption story. Yeah. <laughs> Elf is Mitch Marner. Uh, always enjoyable and the kids love him. Uh, let's see here. Let's see here. Die Hard is Ryan Reeves. 
doesn't quite fit the bill as a Christmas movie, but it's fun to watch kick some ass. <laughs> These are funny. Uh, anyway. That's good. Do you have any? Do you have any you can think of? Uh, hmm. I mean, is there, there's gotta be a home alone in there for one of the young guys who like is, is Matthew Nye's like home alone. Well, he's not home alone. He's home at the Tavares house. Yeah. But he's like, he's outsmarting the, the older guys. He's young. Like he's 21. Isn't he 21? Yeah. That's a good one for me. I'll take that. I know uh producer punch has been telling us to watch. What's the one he wants us to watch office holiday party office Christmas party. It's good. Office Christmas party. All right. I'm putting that on my list. What's the one with Seth Rogen where they go on like the that's a the good acid one too. trip in New York? I believe that's <laughs> called the Night of. That's really good. Not really yeah. good. It's good. Yeah, it's it's one of the yeah. I I think I feel like my bar for quality with the Christmas movies comes down a little bit because you're on vacation and you're like you know you have a drink or whatever and uh, punch this. It's called the Night Before. Okay, the Night Before. The Night of actually is a show. I should I should know that. Anyway, all right. Uh, well, and Nick, Nick, Nick has one question for you, Jonas. Sure. Uh, he, he says he watched Succession because we were talking about it, and it was a great show. Do we have any other recommendations for TV shows that that uh, we're watching? Hmm. You know yeah. what I'm watching? You know what I started watching is Letterkenny. I had never seen it, and I started watching it, and now I'm I like, down. I like he asked you for a great show, and that's why you're like Succession, Letterkenny, same thing. <laughs> well, it's not. I don't know, but like the writing is really clever on Letterkenny. I don't know. I love it's I grew up in like a pretty small place in Canada and like there's a lot of parallels to Letterkenny in my hometown that's for sure what is a good show that we can recommend I think Letterkenny season 12 comes out on Christmas Day so it's not that it's not that out of place for me to recommend it I don't think even though I'm behind the times I know that the show's been out for a long time but sometimes when you're a parent you uh you fall behind on watching shows like succession i had to catch up on and like binge like the whole four seasons all in the last three months i would think everyone has seen white lotus i haven't seen it of course I it. <laughs> <laughs> but i i will i will if that's your recommendation i will make sure i see it all right that's a good recommendation go with that there's two seasons the second one is better i think than the first uh but that's a good one for you and for everyone else all right, James, that's it for us this year. Thank you to everyone, honestly, for listening the entire year. Been a lot of stuff to talk about, and there will continue to be a lot of stuff to talk about. So we'll be back in 2024. Thank you to our producer, Punch. Thank you to you, James. Thank you to The Athletic. Thank you to all our guests and anyone you want to thank. Huh? Thanks to you, Jonas. Thanks for oh, being here. Okay. Thanks, thanks for being the MVP of the show. Yeah. All right. Thank you to everyone. We'll be back uh, in 2024. Have a safe and happy holiday.